in short, it does everything, John. But we used to, it was kind of like a common joke, or I don't even know if you call it a joke, because it wasn't like that funny. It was kind of just like the truth we all came to accept at the brewery was really like yeast is doing all the work. Like what you do as a brewer is you try and create like the best situation for the yeast you're going to pitch to make a great beer. You're, you're kind of like the sous chef and the yeast is the iron chef. Like they're doing the stuff out there. They're really the one that's, that's getting people excited, kind of like Emerald. Instead of going bang, bang, they're jumping in there and making booze. Good morning. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official untapped podcast. Your inside look into what's happening in the untapped community and the world of beer. I'm John, and be honest with me. Be honest with yourself. You never thought you'd be listening to a podcast about yeast. Well, fortunately, this one's about <laughs> beer and untapped and, well, yeast. But this is the fourth installment in our Beer 101 series, and Harrison's going to be answering some questions about the microscopic fourth ingredient in all of your beer. And I'm Harrison, and it's alive! No, not, <laughs> not Dr. Frankenstein's monster. That was just a metaphor. I'm talking about your beer. Well, part of your beer, some beers sometimes, not really the beer. We're, of course, talking about yeast, um, and uh, it's a pretty big deal. I'd call it the yeast the soul of the beer, but that would be playing right into Mary Shelley's hands. I don't want to do that. Uh, so I'm going to forego that, just kind of you know, say that yeast, it can be the most complex part of your beer experience, and we're going to drink two beers today that are really well known for the role yeast plays in every sip you take. But before we get to sipping, as a reminder, Drinking Socially is released every other Wednesday morning. It can be found at podcast.untap.com. Or wherever you listen to podcasts or, or watch them. If you're That's on right. YouTube, check it out there as well. Indeed. All right. Cool. So it's that time again, John. I'm not going to say it. It's not going to say it's our favorite new part. I said it. Um, but uh, it's, all right. I, it's how I know that we're getting to the to the weekend catch up right. segment, right? Yeah, and you and uh, as as I recall from checking photos, you had uh, some good ones kind of coming up, but but maybe had a little bit of a journey to to find oh, the beers you enjoyed recently. So the the part that I was talking to Harrison about before we were recording tonight is, you know, we're we're doing an episode uh, focusing on yeast. And for me, and, and I think Harrison or probably most of you as well, a Belgian beer is a good example of that. Yeah. And so I said, you know, on, on a lunch break, I was texting Harrison, I'm going to run out. I'm going to find beers for the next episode. Uh, how hard can it be to find a Belgian triple? Well, it as I learned, really (laughs) difficult. It was on a day where I was driving around in a car. The air conditioner wasn't working. It was at least Uh, 10,000 degrees. There was already frustration in the air, but it took me three different stops to find some Belgian beer. And, and, you know, I think you'll see, we got pretty close with uh, the flying dog beer we're going to feature, but it was, it's, it's, you know, it was one of the times where I was forced to realize that COVID has made such a big impact on beer yeah. here in the States. Um, and it was something I used to take for granted. So um, 
I don't know. There's nothing to say about it. It's just uh, it's a it, it's a different beer buying world that we live in. And Harrison and I, I think both hope that uh, whatever struggles you're going through to get the beer that you like, it's 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 just as worth it at the end of the sip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. It certainly is different out there, and it kind of slowly happened, and uh, or maybe some places happened quicker than than others. The kind of changes that that we've been seeing, and I would even say that some of it's kind of been slowly happening for a long time. Where like all of a sudden, every most places you walk into is ninety percent IPAs, and then some other stuff. I didn't even like notice right like Chimay disappearing from most grocery store shelves that used to stock it um and then then beers like that that are you know kind of just like a given in my mind that it could always be close by and 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 at some point in the not too distant past i guess it kind of disappeared so uh yeah right interesting shimay delirium i was thinking it wouldn't be hard to find those at all but um but you're right ipas have been taking up shelf space and i know harrison um, pretty big news for North Carolina this this recent weekend as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I had, um, I mean, I've been drinking it for uh, a little bit now, but Surly Brewing Company is finally in North Carolina. I didn't even know they were coming or like planning on moving this way or, you know, whatever i've always they've always been one um that i've like i've i've wanted to enjoy i had one of their their darkness and like a bottle share had like a sip of it once it was great i've just been kind of like living vicariously through really like other people's check-ins of their beer is describing <laughs> how great they are that's like some something i'll do when no one's around to jump on untapped and look at the check-ins of beers that i can't get and be like oh, if only i could get my hands on them and so on so it finally happened though just like a surprise local bottle shop had some surly um and i grabbed their extra which is their like low abv citra pale ale um and it was it's awesome it's like it's sub, I think it's like 4.9% or so, or 4.5 actually is even less than that, um, which is great. It's John and I have mentioned in the path, it's kind of like our that's the sweet spot. If you can go sub five, closer to four, the better, and still pack a punch. I really just, I'm always looking for that beer I can sit next to the grill and enjoy while making something on the grill. And this one, like, check that box. I've been kind of riding it all, all summer. I grabbed a four pack and then another four pack, and I'll probably get another as I just finish my last one um after uh on the facebook live event last night but it's been it's been great um having that go from not being available at all to now i can just go get it whenever i want and i don't trust that yet i'm scared it's gonna disappear again but i I don't think it will i think it's i think it's here for a bit but that's been been good I remember when that happened with Cigar City yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it's always, um, yeah, I, I think it's exciting. You know, you see these beers that are out of your region. Um, and I remember sometimes you get like some knowledge that you know, Cigar City's coming to North Carolina. And sometimes you get these kind of gifts like Surly landing here. Yeah. Um, I was just recently learned that great notion is ju- they're already planned. It's going to open soon. Uh, they're opening their first Seattle tap room. Wow. They've got, I think three in, in and around Portland, Oregon. Right, right. So they're coming to Seattle now. Awesome. They're, their double stack, which is I think their number one checked in beer on Untapped, yeah. is in the fridge at the Untapped That's office. Right. Uh, we were going to feature it on the podcast, and, and we just packed everything up and left 
thinking yep. three, four, five weeks right. we'll be back we'll be in the back. office. So Oops. one day, one day we're going to feature Great Notion oh, yeah. uh, once once we get back in the office. Those guys are incredible. Yeah, they really are. And I've been, we've been looking forward to that. It's a beer we talked about and kind of were right, not worried that it was going to, you know, didn't need to drink it quickly because it's got quite the ABV in it and on it and it would last as long as we needed it to. But now I'm kind of like, oh boy, maybe we're even pushing that, uh, pushing that to uh, to the max it's gonna be maybe we can do it a cellared episode or something in the future accidentally cellared beer we <laughs> planned on drinking kind of fresh but then this all happened uh what can you do but yeah that's uh that's cool about them moving to seattle and uh and open up a new spot that's such a great beer city obviously and to bring more great stuff to it um the rich get richer john uh and uh that's awesome awesome for people in seattle <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah, totally. Seattle is a great beer city. Pacific Northwest, uh, I know by proxy Seattle and Portland, uh, there's something I'm not researched enough to really speak on, but Ruben's Brews, Mm. I uh, saw that they were doing some sort of virtual beer where you could help brew the beer virtually. And and that's it. That's the headline I read, and I meant to look more into it today before we got around to recording, but... That's this awesome. is life. The dogs needed a bath. That's right. Um, <laughs> but for those of you fortunate enough to live nearby, or if you're reading this and you know how to Google, uh, you'll probably get <laughs> you'll probably get some better answers than me making them up. Right. Um, and that is an awkward formed transition into <laughs> our first beer on uh, episode 16. Yes. Excited to drink. So this is the product of me endlessly shopping around for some sort of Belgian beer. And it comes from, uh, well, I'll tell you the story after we open the beer. Um, Let's get to the vitals. Uh, This beer, Raging Bitch by Flying Dog, uh, is a Belgian-style IPA. It comes in 8.3% ABV and brings 60 IBUs. This beer has a lot going on. A sweet malt body is contrasted by pine and grapefruit hop flavors and some exotic fruit notes. And Harrison's going to kind of talk about that. Yeah. Uh, as we drink the beer, you know, uh, how yeast plays a role here. My first experience with Raging Bitch, I was drinking, I was like drinking through Flying Dog's catalog mm-hmm. on the grocery store shelf. And I got to this one and I remember thinking like, whoa, this is, you know, it's just different um, for somebody that's learning and maybe doesn't have a, a, a broken encyclopedia of information in their head. <laughs> When you get to this, like there, the, yes, Belgian styles are tr- a real thing. The yeast definitely adds some character to this beer yeah. that you won't find in 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 others, right? Uh, I'm yeah. excited to hear Harrison. I've never checked it in. Uh, yeah, which is- yeah, I know. I don't think I have either. And this was so. This beer was um, again. I feel like every time we. Every time we, well, we've been doing a good job recently of drinking some pretty serious beers, pretty famous when it comes to American craft beers. The past couple episodes with Sierra Nevada and Sam Adams and Fat Tire and all the stuff we've been having a blast enjoying. So I feel like I'm on repeat here, but to say it again, this beer I remember right the first time I had it, and not even that. I remember this was like when 
Belgian IPAs were happening, like somewhere yes. in Green the Green Flash. Right, I exactly. remember doing one. Lafrique. That's what yep. I was going to bring up. I had that Blind Tiger in New York City on Bleecker Street, which is like a tiny craft beer bar. There, you know, more taps in there than there could be people. How small it is, but always filled up to the max. I had Lafrique there for the first time, and that was in the middle of. That like, but in between West Coast IPAs and New England IPAs, there was this like spark of Belgian IPAs were the new thing and exciting, um, and you know enjoying things like this Parat uh, as well, which is an actual Bel an IPA or a I think it was originally just said Belgian Pale Ale, but it's like a really bitter one. It's it's awesome, but so yeah, this is like a very serious chapter in my beer journey was belgian ipas what are they this is crazy and this was one of this and lafrique were like the two that like i remember the most of like having them being like what is this here we are it is it's a it's a stark contrast on most of the beers i i drink um and if there's a if there's a weak spot in my own beer check-in history untapped history uh it's it's belgian style beers and i i blame it on the yeast it kicks yeah. off an estuary fruitness yeah. that that just it's not something to me that is really appealing and i'll say so uh so objectively for me right. this is not a beer that i would find myself singing praises on and there's nothing against flying dog or the beer that Belgian yeast just right. hits me in a way that, right. uh, yeah. that yeah, it, 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 it's different. It, and we'll see. It's 8.3. Yeah. I haven't had any beers today and I'm thirsty as heck. We'll exactly. see how I feel yes, at the exactly end of it. Right. But that's, a, that's something I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit. Um, sure. No no strikes against anyone that made it because arguably Belgian brewers are some of the most talented history has ever known. But sure. for me, this is a style I have to work hard to enjoy. Yeah, and it's definitely different. It's like an it's it's I don't want to say an acquired taste because that sounds ridiculous, but it's it is like a Belgian beers are famous because they're so different. Like that's why they're exciting, and because they can't make those kind of beers. Well, up until a time, couldn't make them outside of Belgium because the yeast that were there could only live and exist there, and that's what gave them this unique character. Obviously, now with this yeast, which actually is obviously really important. Um, in this beer, the name of the beer, which we can talk about in a moment, uh, kind of comes from the these itself. But that, this is now all kind of propagated in labs, and you can that's why you can be in Maryland, where Flying Dog is, and make a Belgian style IPA uh, and use yeast that was cultured and originally from Belgium. But forever, that's the uniqueness of that that country and the beer it could create was part of the draw. But it's also right the first time you have it. Even if you're like not new to beer, it's like, what is going on here? Sometimes it can taste like potpourri or like a weird Christmas decoration or something. Like it's there's there's clovey things yes. happening sometimes. There's spicy things. There are piney things. Sometimes I think what drew me to the um uh, to to this style or made it interesting um early on was it almost like the funkiness of it the the spiciness of it could almost turn up the hops that were in it into like a different it just did something different to it where you get a really spicy like a warrior or like a willamette like a uh hop that's like already got some kind of spice characteristics to it and then throw some belgian yeast on top of it and it kind of like makes it it's like a new way 
it becomes spicy in a new way. It almost goes from the hop spice to the this yeast spice, and you can't tell where one ends and one begins. And that, like the the kind of part of my brain that was learning about this was like, what's going on here? How can I tell what's, how is that transition so smooth and, and interesting? And I remember having that kind of like dialogue in my head and a crowded Bleecker street bar as people were yelling things at me and I was missing the fun conversation internally going, Oh, Hold what on, to interpret right. Something's the, going on. My brain knows things, but only part of things. And it's trying to put the pieces together with no knowledge quiet <laughs> give me five hot dogs but quiet. you just explain <laughs> probably everybody's beer journey at some stage oh, right man. like uh, I, I can't i can't figure out what's happening but i know enough to want to try i know and the the name so so there's the yeast they use in this they refer to it as el diablo um it's a belgian uh yeast strain and it's kind of famous for it's like volcano like vigorous fermentation so it rages along as the name would suggest and and can become uh kind of a mess to handle and they're great stories and uh homebrew forums of other uh, guys using it other breweries using it where it's just you know like it made a mess they walk in the next day after brewing the buckets tops blown off in the closet and all their shirts are covered in in gross <laughs> gunk and beer and you know all that stuff so uh, which is just part of the experience but um but I, and i love that uh their description on the, their website says enjoy its golden glow and white foaming head alongside bold flavors like spicy barbecue wings blue cheese salads or that bag of family size cool ranch doritos you're going to destroy later while binge watching netflix i loved i was cracking up i read that and i was like you've got me you just described what a great night that is wings a blue cheese salad what an honest way to describe a salad i'll have some blue cheese with a side of lettuce please here's Two your salad of sir yeah. <laughs> yeah i want to feel healthy um, i love it honestly that uh that uh, description of this beer or perhaps of the greatest night of your, you know, late thirties. Sure. Um, <laughs> that, that makes me like, I would be excited to have this beer again and pair it with like some wicked spicy yes. chicken wings. Yes. And, and I think yes. there is where the, yes. the, there's so much flavor packed into this beer that that blue cheese, the chicken wings, like this beer is going to stand up to it. Yeah. It also refers to it as a backyard knife fight on your palate, <laughs> which is kind of, that was a more aggressive way of when I was talking about the hops and the yeast kind of coming together, they're seen as a coming together of a, like a duel. Um, I was more, it was more harmonious in my brain, but now I'm like, you're right. It does feel like, like an a, Italian family dinner. Right, exactly right. Everybody. Yeah, exactly right. Vibe. Exactly. Pass the knife, pass the bread. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I know. Uh, that's that's a great explanation of this beer. It is it's it's like it's like joining a very loud argument at a bar. Right, There's right. Just a lot of people arguing right. for your attention right. as you try and process it. I know it is it, right, exactly right. There's a lot going on. It's fun. It's one of those beers that does change as it warms up and it becomes a little more interesting. I think it certainly it just changes. It's just different. Um, Got to sit here and hold it in my hand. Crystal clear, a nice copper color. I mean, and obviously this beer has been around for a while. I mean, Flying Dog themselves have been um, brewing. They started in Colorado in 1990s. They've been doing this for longer than I think a lot of people realize. They, in the early 2000s, um, bought the brewery they currently use in uh, in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, and then in 2007, 
shut down the Colorado operations and just moved to, to Maryland. Um, but interesting personal connection to these guys is that when I was at Neshaminy Creek, we somehow, and that's a longer story, uh, ended up with the first brew house they had. I believe the one from 1990 they had a, i think they had two different locations in colorado at one point in the early 90s so i'm unsure exactly which one we got but it was when they left colorado they sold it to i think some like entrepreneur was gonna open his own brewery never did it sat in a barn in pennsylvania for years and we were like lucky enough to find it before we opened up after the person we paid to build our brewhouse from scratch disappeared with all our money so he did that to a lot of people i don't remember his name his old company and there's tons of it's a there's interesting articles about it. he did a lot of like startup breweries in the mid to mid 2010s whatever you call that i don't know um that that time period the last decade in the to the sometime tens. in the 10s sure in the 10 not the 1910s or the 1810s um but um yeah, anyway, so that's like a different story. But, but yeah, so I brewed on their original brewer house forever, and it was awesome. A huge stainless steel thing that was very simple, two-vessel system. But it it may very well have brewed – I don't remember when uh, this beer came to be first, but may have brewed early iterations of – of uh, this beer as well at one point in the past, but um, so that's an, another small world story. Exactly. Just today, uh, I was on the phone with a brewery in, I want to say it was in, it was it was south of Cleveland, Ohio, um, and we were just kind of talking about, you know, like one of the questions I always ask a brewer when I'm on the phone with them is, you know, what what prompted you to get into this industry. Um, which has changed over, you know, five years ago, sure. you're more of like an early adopter. Now I, I almost expect everyone to say, I just love beer and I wanted to make my own. Right. But it's always, you, you know, you get home brewers and you get on and on, you get all kinds of uh, really cool stories about what prompted you to become a, a professional brewer. And the one I was talking to, he learned and trained. He got a lot of training from Christian Moreland in Ohio, Ooh, CMB, yeah. and also from Flying Dog. Nice. Um, so, and that's one of the really cool things that I think people forget about when you get these brewers that kind of elevate their business to like that upper echelon, Mm -hmm. maybe not all the way to ABI's world, but the next, you know, like Lagunitas and, uh, New Belgium and Flying Dog, where, where you get to that level, you almost become like you start to create more brewers just because oh, yeah. of what you've done. It's a great sure. source of education for people. Yep. Yeah. As of today, 2.5 million plus check-ins flying dog overall has on untapped wow. from more than 600,000 different people. Um, I've checked in a few of them. I got to look back and see at those check-ins and then rage and bitch. Yeah, it, me too. Rage and bitch itself, 315,000 check-ins, 700 plus this month. So again, it's been around for, for more than a, a hot minute, it is, and they have tons of variants too, uh, which I talk about in a sec. But um, it's their number one checked in beer, uh, followed by Snake Dog, which is a really cool IPA of theirs as well. Um, they have a lot of, I mean, again, they're one of those breweries that have been doing it for a while. But you, every time I revisit them, I'm like, oh, that's right, they made that beer, they made that beer. Holy cow, they did the whole Dead Rise Old Bay beer, which I guess is like a regional. I love Old Bay seasoning. Oh, man, Dead Rise right. gets uh, – there's a, there's like a, a cult following sure. for that there beer. There is. I love it. I think it's hilarious. But the people who don't know what it is, it's kind of like a weird thing. And I 
get it. Totally get it. But embrace the old bay. Put it on your French fries. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, again, a lot of story, but very interesting. They went from Colorado to, to Maryland and they're like killing it in Maryland and, and all that they, stuff. I think they would get a lot of credit for kind of building Maryland. I mean, Maryland as a state is arguably really small. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, but they've there's there's a lot of talent in both food and beer in Maryland, and sure. I would give Flying Dog a lot of credit for kind of paving the way. Yeah, certainly early it, on. Oh yeah, it's been almost three years since I've checked into a Flying Dog beer, and the last I can I know immediately when I go and look at my check in history, it's the Heat series. They did a Jalapeno White oh, Ale, yeah. they did a Ancho Lime Lager, they did Fever Dream, and I'm just I, I, I think I checked into all of them like within five days of each other, um, which great. was any I love that they did like just uh, I think it was probably a mixed six pack of spicy beers, right? And uh, that was and of course I get I get picked on a lot with, with some of the check ins back then. There's a lot of misspellings, um, <laughs> so, you know that was those good times back then. Yeah, I had a few back in 2015 and 2016. The last one I had was their their doggy style pale ale, which is a great pale ale. I just, I just remember and I. My check-in is always game for that, whatever the heck that means. But I just remember it being like one of those very, <laughs> very go-to, very go-to, um, very go-to, uh, you know, pale ales where it's very citrusy, it's crisp, refreshing. So again, like I, I love, there's so many breweries out there, obviously, um, but the ones that have been doing it for a while, if you haven't checked in with them, I always say it a lot, but go look back into, you know, places that you maybe haven't enjoyed a beer from in a bit. Uh, they're always all just putting out great, interesting stuff all the time, whether it's new or one like this one we're having tonight that we just haven't had in a while. Um, so true. Even uh, like my my uh, disdain for Belgian yeast flavoring beers, <laughs> it's, it's true. I mean, if we go out to dinner, there's going to be someone that doesn't want calamari. There's going to be someone that sure. doesn't want a rare steak. I'm that way with Belgian beers, but as I'm down to like my last third of this one, especially thinking about pairing it with some spicy food, exactly. I really want to come back here and I try know. this again. I know. Um, it may, bold statement, but it, it really may be, it may be one of the best, because we talk about that a lot. A lot of, a lot of people talk about beer and food pairings and it's almost like whatever you want with whatever you want. Like there's no wrong. That's the rule. Right, right, there's right. no That's, wrong yeah, answer. That is the rule. Right. But I, but I, but right. As we're drinking this, it's like, I could, I can almost taste how well, like right. Hot wings would go or a spicy calamari would go with this. Like you can kind of see where it would fit in this profile that is malty. It kind of hits a lot of like spicy malty notes and it's missing like the heat of the spice. It would almost be like the spice of the wings to the spice of the hop to the spice of the yeast and like a three P three fur combo thing happening there all at once. That would be just really interesting to, to experience. So yeah, it's, this could be a, a really great style and specific beer to pair with food. I wish we were doing that now, but that they don't want to hear Same. us chewing. You don't yeah. want you don't want you don't want that. You don't want that we, in your ear. Yeah, we need to figure out auto <laughs> auto mic ducking oh, right. when I chew. <laughs> AI is not quite there yet. We'll get there. But, um, speaking of Harrison and I making mistakes um, or eating live on the air, yeah. 
those of you that are interested, we've kind of, we began trying to challenge ourselves to produce a little bit more content while we're all stuck at home, not reading the books we should be reading. <laughs> um, so if you're in the Facebook group, you know, we release a new podcast every other Wednesday right. and the Wednesdays in between uh, Harrison and I are starting a, a, a YouTube live event for lack of better understanding or name. <laughs> uh, but we were in there last week. There was th- thanks to the 12 of you that tuned in. Mm. It was unannounced. It was unmarketed. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just kind of got together um, and jumped on and, and started the camera up live and drank a beer. And it was, I, I don't know about you, Harrison, but it was some of the, like, it was really nice just to go live we had some things we wanted to talk about but to be able to kind of see someone post something and and engage right away that 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 sort of content was really exciting to to produce i know it's great it's a fun you know facebook group if you aren't in it yet go ahead and join it it's a blast a lot of great posts great pictures great ideas people creating polls having thoughts and opinions and stuff and we kind of spent most of the time pulling our favorite posts from the past couple of weeks and we'll do that again um you know, pretty much each, yeah, every other Wednesday that there's not a podcast, jump on Facebook and find us there to kind of go through what we've been laughing about or enjoying uh, you guys sharing in the group. It's It's been fun. Speaking of polls, we mm. we, we did one and uh, we asked, what was your favorite pool side beer? And the answer was not unanimous, but it was a runaway. Yeah. And everybody's favorite poolside beer was anything craft and local. Ah, uh, um, classic. So Love that one. Very true. Very true to form. <laughs> the answer was actually not an answer. Right. Um, uh, specific enough for us to grab that beer and put it on the podcast. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't. I don't think that matters. Like. What's really cool to see is that it doesn't matter where you live. Your favorite beer usually right. comes from within right. 10 miles away from right. you. And that's the world I want to live right. in. That's great. That is cool. Right. Or what you're doing. Right. It used to be, and even my head is still wired of like a little bit, pool beer, lawn beer, deck beer, grill beer, like all these weird, I don't know why I'm so segmented or whatever, but I guess that's just how my, my brain is just boring like that. But um. But nice, right, that it's like anything craft, anything local all the time. Um, okay, cool. That, that's good with me. Whatever I'm doing, as long as local and craft, I'm happy about it. So that was that was exciting as well to see. And we'll throw some more cool things up there this week probably. Uh, maybe take it onto Twitter too. If you're not following us over there already, we do have a Twitter too that we have some fun with because we can do more polls and stuff over there. You can follow us at That Beer Podcast on Twitter and see where kind of our stream of consciousness uh, can get a little interesting over there. So check it out if you haven't. But we got another beer to drink before we do though. Let's hear from one and only the untapped store. What's going on there? This guy, right? Oh, there it is. I can't, I can never, every time it's wrong. Just like what uh, pocket did I put my keys in? Not that yep. pocket, not the one I just, the last one right. you check, which is right on so many levels. Right, exactly. You probably would stop checking after you found them, but uh, not the first one you check. That's right. Let's listen to this. We'll, we'll talk to you guys in a second. Want to show off your love of untapped? Check out our online store and pick up untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, more. Depending on how hot or cold you are, go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast when you check out. 
That'll get 20% off anything you order. That's store.untap.com. Use the coupon code podcast, 20% off for you. Plus it lets them know that you guys are listening and we love that here. All right, it's that time to drink more beer. We're jumping into beer number two. It's a classic. We just talked about it. John just added it to his mouth. Beer more. There it is. Boom. Francis Connor, or in Philly, a Frank or a Frankie or something like that is how you could order it, and people would usually know what you meant. Uh, the full name is the Francis Connor Premium Vice Beer. Not so true, but Francis Connor is just how people refer to it. Right. Exactly. That would be a lot to say. You don't need to. Frankie hopefully gets you what you want, although. <laughs> could also send you down the weird, weird, weird night. Um, but uh, <laughs> brewery is, it, it used to be obviously Francis Connor, but now uh, Spat and Francis Connor and Lone Brow have a group, um, well, you know, a parent group that brews this guy. But more importantly, it's a half of Eisen, 5%, 12 IBUs. And um, coming from Untapped, it says Francis Connor is a natural and elegant wheat beer protagonist from Bavaria with a lush white foam. The copper golden weed beer with yeast over opalescence unfolds on aromatic fragrance with harmonious fruit in which bananas and citrus fruit greet. So that was translated from Dutch, I believe, but we get it. And this is, I mean, so it's on your Mount beer more for great reason. And it's, um, I love this beer. The first time I ever saw it, it was like one of the, I guess it would be, what would that be? Like a 500 mil or a bigger, slightly bigger bottle of it. And somebody brought like a hef, a, like a glass, put it upside down on it. Oh, and then flipped nice. the whole thing. And I was like, well, this is this guy's first day on the job. He doesn't want to pour a beer. <laughs> what a moron. And that's I'll right. Exactly right. Good luck, kid. Don't quit your college, whatever. Any, and But that's how you can pour it out of the bottle into a, a wee period. And that's kind of how you should. Um, I learned later um, today I don't have that size bottle or that kind of glass. So I'm making do. But uh, but anyway, this beer was, as we kind of mentioned on your um, – when you put this on Mount Beer More for you, it's everywhere in Philly. I love this beer. I'm so pumped to drink because I probably haven't had it really – maybe since I've lived there, which was four plus years ago. So this is going to send me a lot of stories are coming, John, get ready. It's going to send me back. It's been, it's been a long time for my, so I last checked into this beer in 2015. Um, and we were talking about it when we just updated Mount beer more. Um, so bringing, bringing it onto the show so quick. Uh, if you listened earlier, you heard me talking about the difficulty in, in, in finding imported beer. Yeah. Uh, during COVID. So Frontescanner was available and it was just, uh, I'm really excited to drink this. This is the, uh, even uh, during, you know, especially in the States during COVID, we've seen a huge kind of resurgence in nostalgic beers. You know, you buy your beer, one, you're probably looking for more value than you used to sure. when a $16 four pack was just exciting. Yeah. Um, but also that, that nostalgia, I think is natural. Yep. Like, uh, I, I, I saw Ashley the other day looking at knitting. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm not going to replay that conversation, <laughs> but under no circumstance did I ever think like we should probably set up a chair for knitting right. in this right. house. And now it seems okay. So Franz Esconner on the menu, <laughs> this is exciting. Well, <laughs> Initially, I would also get offered a lemon 
with sure. my Franz okay. scanner, uh, which I equate to like. Uh, it, I'd imagine it complements the flavors in this beer very well. It's it's got a it's got a carbonation or mouthfeel, yeah. unlike most others. And I attribute a lot of that to the yeast. I'm sure everything else that touches this beer as well. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, for um, sure. And I just... I mean, look at that I know, cloud I know. on this It thing. looks beautiful. smells beautiful. I poured most of it into the bot, into the glass and then took less probably an ounce and a half or two ounces in the bottle, swirled it up, dumped it in. That's kind of the move. I think the larger bottle has that as like the instruction on the back of it. If I like although, swirl, right, and, swirl pour. and pour, exactly. Might have been this one or Paul Nurs or Vine Stefan's, but um, but yeah. Some beers you want to leave right. that sediment. Some sure. beers it's actually beneficial. Sure, and it's really personal preference. Like if you like it, great. If you're not, you know, into the banana and clove roller coaster we're about to get on, maybe don't dump that last season. If you're a home brewer. Save it and make your own beer out of it. You can turn that. You can use it again. Um, uh, first sip into this thing. I'm so excited. Man. It's uh, it's a vibrant, lively roller coaster. It's the wheat beer that I was in love with before I even knew what wheat beers were. Um, it's t- tell me what's going on right now, right? It's just uh, I'm taken back. I'm in. I'm in Brauhaus Schmitz, which is a huge beer hall on South Street in Philadelphia, watching a football game, which is a soccer game. Um, I'm eating sausage. I mean, this is like, right. So there's so many, oh, there's, this is, you know, John, the words, the words are giving me. It's such a, it's so, I don't know how you, it's like, I feel like I've said this before about other beers, but it's like Galileo drawing a circle freehand or whatever, or Da Vinci, whoever did that, where it's like, that's the most <laughs> difficult, one of those guys who had pens and pencils back in the day. But that, you know, it was like, that's such a difficult thing to do to make the perfect cheeseburger or to, you know, like, but it's, when you do it, it's like this masterpiece. And I'm not even gonna say simplicity because it's so complex. Um, but in like a refreshing way where like I'm so used to almost like challenging my taste buds to fight through all these hops in a big old IPA to find out what I'm really tasting here. It's like this soft pill. There's definitely, it's nicely acidic. It's very bubbly. It's got yep. some carbonation, but it's like, it's almost like I feel like I'm going on a, like a waterfall of just like oranges and I crash into a bunch of bananas in the bottom of a, a lake that also some cool guy is smoking a clove next to. And I'm just like, where is this place? Where what is weird, this place? What, <laughs> what, 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 what cruise am I on? This is advanced the, Airbnb. Right. Um, yeah, but it's, it's just, uh, it's so good. It's so, and it, right. It almost feels like, Oh man, I don't know how to put this into words well, but it's it's almost like they have a secret that no one else knows yet, and they're like winking at you about it. Like, yes, you and like, right? You don't need to have a thousand ingredients to make complex beer. Just like let, yet, yet let the yeast do the talking, and it'll take you most of the way there. And they're um, singing in this. I mean, the banana um, Vine Stefaner makes a beer called Vitus that to me is the most banana flavored beer I've right. ever had. Yeah. But this. This is unmistakable. Like we did uh, when we did the virtual festival together, however long ago it's been with time meaning nothing anymore. Um, we did a blind taste test 
and I put some beers in front of you. And I believe I also eschewed a chocolate milk in there and some actual orange juice. And you did remarkable um, <laughs> in determining which beer was which or which was actually right. not a beer. Um, right. This is a beer. You could blind taste test me this beer. And I would I, I would wager that I would identify this sure. beer. Right, right. Ten times out of ten. It's unmistakably oh, so good. Beautiful, in my opinion. Right, that's own. it. That's probably the best word for it, right, John? It is beautiful. I feel like, right, there's something, I don't know if it's just where my some kind of placebo association or something where I know it's been brewed since 1363. Like, there's a there's this, it almost feels like I'm looking at a painting that was, right, Monet is in the room or something. Like, there's just this like thing about it. Like how you describe it. Starry Night. Right. Right, you just you shouldn't. If you're trying to talk about it, you're a moron. You should just be quiet and stare at it and try to think about nothing. That's the point, I think, of that of any art, any great thing is your thoughts disappear and this occupies something that this beer in, in this moment that words can't really express. Ooh, that's the point. That's the ta- the beer that thinks uh, for you. Maybe that's not. Right. Maybe that's or not the direction <laughs> we need to go in. But I'm sorry, officer. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But yeah, we don't need to do that. But 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 I know what you're saying. It's right. It's it's just this. Right. It's. I feel like I feel silly trying to talk about it. it feels like I've just been taught a lesson by a thing I should I should unless I should have known already. Of just drink this beer and. And be quiet. Sit on a mountaintop, and and drink this beer, and and you'll know things. Advice from uh, the sage <laughs> of drinking socially. Um, no, that's this is uh, uh, when I when I thought about putting this on my Mount Beer more. You know, I was like, there's yeah, there's ten thousand different versions of a hef in the world right now, maybe more than 10,000. Um, how, how do I pick Franziskaner is like the yeah. third of my four beers that like, that sure. identify my craft beer experience. But as soon as I pick it up and taste it, 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 it if, if mm. I always, as, as we drink a beer on drinking socially, I think I always want to implore you if you can, even if it sounds like it's past you, you're, you've already gone past right, that, right, like right. turn around Right. Stop it, Franziskaner. Pick it up. Oh. Grab one if you can. Grab six if you trust me. This right. this is a weekend. This is uh, right. I'm just gonna shut up because I'm I'm just I'm just throwing <laughs> adjectives out. <laughs> but um, right. but but, no, but you're right. But you're right. Yeah. You know, again, it's this 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 whole other thing. It's it's a master class in a glass. Master class in a glass. There it is. There's the T-shirt. Someone will never make. So but, is uh, there. Harrison, we we're we're talking about this, right? Like, how do you recreate right. uh, the scream or other famous pieces of art? Right. And uh, objectively, you can't. But what can you can you speculate? Can you hypothesize on maybe what the yeast specifically do to affect? the banana, the clove, the flavor sure. that I'm getting in, in, in this beer as opposed to like blue moon or a different uh, version right. of this. Sure. So yes. So it'll be hopefully a little more than a, uh, a guess, but I mean, for well, blue moons an American wheat, this is a German, this is a half of And so it has to be minimum. The grain bill is 50% wheat. That's standard. It has to be minimum 50% wheat in the grain bill, which is a lot 
you remember from the you know the malt episode we talked about most beers are 70 percent pale malt this is in the one of the exceptions where it can't be it has to be at least 50 percent wheat and then some pale or pilsner usually it's the and then maybe a little bit of carrot pills like that's it we made a wheat beer they got to the finals three years in a row at the great american beer festival to finish i think the highest to finish like fifth or fourth right outside the metals but um it was like three grains in that beer and that was it um and you know mostly it was a heck of a beer to brew because brewing with wheat we used rolled wheat uh which is basically just like rolled oats in your oatmeal it's like make literally making oatmeal it's so thick it looks like cement we were using a wooden paddle no rakes no motors for us just good old (laughs) sweat and tears uh that uh, that made all the beers in the shemini creek so um as it should be so they so that's a big factor but also since it's a german wheat beer it's using german wheat yeast which will be more um banana and clove focused than something you may use that's similar in like a belgian wit or an american wheat beer um but they don't have the same parameters of it needs to be 50 percent wheat and then in the yeast that it's probably being used in this is probably not the same one and in a blue moon or a regularly available american wheat beer which is a little bit different um same similar characteristics but there's when you kind of put them next to each other it does this beer will jump out it's just the banana clove yeah kind of bubble bubble gum is happening in here as well like bazooka yep. joe and that bubble gum w- uh, that was something i didn't know um so thank you uh for that little accidental Nugget. Um, oh, yeah, a, a Hefeweizen is mandated that it's 50% wheat in the grain build. An American wheat beer doesn't carry that mandate. Right. Um, it's not, I think, early on, you know, when I was trying to just like grab and absorb everything about beer, I was like, okay, Hefeweizen just means wheat beer in German. Next. Right. Um, but there is a discernible difference there. And yeah. I'm sure there's, there's others as well if you want to get into the minutiae. Oh, yeah. But sure um that's really that's really cool to know and it's discernibly different this particular frontoscaner than any american wheat i've had yep. not to say that one's better than the other but in my opinion this is a magical journey oh yeah no it is and again the water plays into it there's so many factors i mean it's so hard to recreate stuff that again the terroir we talked about that a little bit last episode with the water but it's just so hard to it just it is it's hard to duplicate you can do it and get close but you're always going to miss something and maybe some step that the brewery doesn't even know they're doing or you know that's kind of taken care of by like the city's water treatment plant that you don't no one knows about that's making that beer that you can't possibly know to add to your kind of clone of it Talking about all this and and yeast, I want to jump right into the Beer 101. This whole episode is kind of built on talking about how yeast plays a role in your beer. Um, If you're just jumping in, we covered malt, we covered hops, we covered water, and this is going to complete the four ingredients in every beer. Um, And then going forward, we're going to get a little bit more granular about it. However... It's it's John interviewing Harrison, and we're gonna we're gonna pick his brain about yeast. So without further ado, let's get to beer one hundred and one. And um, so, okay, reiterating. By now, we know that there's four ingredients in every beer. Um, Harrison, the question we're gonna begin with surface level: 
why is yeast so important to make beer? Why do I need to even put yeast in there? What's it do? Sure. So in short, it does everything, John. But we used to, it was kind of like a common joke or I don't even know if you call it a joke because it wasn't like that funny. It was kind of just like the truth we all came to accept at the brewery was really like yeast is doing all the work. Like what you do as a brewer is you try and create like the best situation for the yeast you're in a pitch to make a great beer. You're, you're kind of like the sous chef and the yeast is the iron chef. Like they're doing the stuff have there. They're really the one that's, that's getting people excited. Kind of like Emerald except instead of going bang, bang, they're jumping in there and making booze. So um, maybe there's some parallels there with the bang and the, all that stuff. I have a funny Emerald story. We'll share you know, that some Emerald other time. Bam. Um, <laughs> yeah, bam, bang, doesn't matter. <laughs> Does that, whatever, yeah, bang, bam. <laughs> it was late. The, the story quickly is that the reason he used to say that is no one wanted to make a show about cooking, so they they were made him film it at like one in the morning, and to keep his cameramen awake, he would go, bam. It wasn't for the audience. It was to wake up his crew. <laughs> So bang, bam, whatever. I don't remember who told me. Someone from the yep, Food Network told me that. I remember hearing that story. I think it was, yeah, um, right? Okay, uh, good. I wish I could remember her name. But That's right. She's I know. She started a school. She's amazing. Yes. Yeah. But I loved that. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll, I'll bite on that. So yeah, bam, bang. Don't don't Got worry it. about me. So the yeast um, is doing all the work. It's the iron <laughs> chef of the It brew. really is. It is. I mean, easily, easily is doing all the work and your job as a brewer is to not mess it up so that when the yeast jumps in there, it's able to actually do what it's supposed to do. You're giving it a great, we're all talking about happy yeast all the time in a brewery. You want to make sure it's good, happy yeast. And there's lots of things you can do to make that happen. But the point of that statement is that, right, your goal, your job is to create something that the yeast is going to ferment the heck out of and, and do what it's supposed to do. in. so that being said, Yeast is is the catalyst which can create fermentation, which allows my beer to be more yeah. than mushy, gross water. Um, right. So the, sure. that fermentation becomes the science that's involved in in creating like this Franziskan or a bubbling masterpiece. My question right, right. is: When I'm drinking this, am I drinking as well a, a bunch of fermenting yeast is with, with my beer? Right. Right. So they're not fermenting anymore. I mean, so, okay. Well, so if you drink a bottle conditioned beer, this is bottle conditioned Sierra Nevada's pale ales, bottle a lot of breweries, bottle conditioned their stuff. Um, they're putting that, that just usually means they're putting yeast in that beer uh, in the bottling line to grab whatever residual sugar is in it. And through that carbonate, at least some of the way that beer. So when you open it up, it actually has carbonation to it. So, but at the time you get it, it the, that you should be asleep. And that's really kind of what happens. The life cycle of most yeast is it does what it's supposed to do, makes a bunch of CO2 and it makes a bunch of alcohol and then goes dormant, just falls asleep at, at a certain point when there's no more sugar to eat. Uh, or the alcohol gets too high for it to keep doing what it's supposed to do and drops to the bottom or rises to the top of that beer. And you can then reuse it by cultivating it, put another beer and then, um, and then uh, kind of starting the cycle all over again. But really there's a funny story. This, this always brings to my mind about, um, about beer itself and the yeast thing. I remember in college, I was at a party under was like drinking, 
his first, probably his first wheat beer. You could kind of see him in the corner looking at it weirdly because <laughs> it looked different in his, in his solo cup and kind of looking around and seeing everyone else drinking it. And I saw this from across the room and was like, all right. I, and I, I knew the beer we had that night. We kind of put two, quickly two and two together when I had a sharper mind. It was quicker <laughs> on my feet. and was like, all right, let's have 30 seconds of fun here. And I was like, hey, man, like, you know, what's going on? What's happening? Like, how are you enjoying that beer? Uh, and he kind of didn't say anything shy, you know, underclassmen do. And I was like, you know, there's like, like basically a bunch of sleeping single cell organisms inside what you're drinking right now. That's why people call beer, beer is a meal. You're actually eating a bunch of tiny living things. And he would kind of like had that deer in his headlights look that everyone gets at some point when you're in college or when you have a beer in your no, head when you shouldn't. And, light. There's uh, nothing alive in here. Exactly. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> and I just remember kind of the look on his face, that whole experience and my friends kind of clued into it right away. And we had, had a quick laugh and, uh, you know, don't know if you remember that at all but it was you know cr- what a crazy night in college making science <laughs> jokes at a party oh boy how popular i was but um yeah i mean really this yes yeast is is the workhorse it's doing it's making the breweries look good and um and this is this beer we just had both beers tonight were a great example that we're used to front and center um and uh, whether it's asleep already or not yeah i mean we're drinking some yeast but it's it's asleep it's just b12 it's another thing like the b complex is basically what yeast is so um it's great for you it can help with hangovers to a point i'm not saying drink a bunch of wheat beers you'll feel great tomorrow morning um but it does have um yeah it's I'm still gonna, here but it does have does have stuff I'm you need cut, to, i'm gonna cut you off at vitamin live. complex i have to edit these <laughs> videos on youtube and i'm not good enough to put together an infographic right. on the FDA, <laughs> right. fda does not sanction any beer as a vitamin <laughs> yeah but seriously drink a wheat beer keep your kids healthy right. nope um right. <laughs> so effectively like as a brewer uh, a, a way that I could vision this in like a Looney Tunes world is that a brewer yeah. comes in and like builds this farm and sets up a fence and puts the right grass in there. And then yeast come in and just make beer from the situation that the brewers create. Right. Um, which does, I mean, I guess yeast is an underappreciated workhorse of craft beer. Um, are there things like, is yeast beer particularly, does it have special characteristics or like, like, could I like go to the pizza shop and grab some of their yeast and, and make a beer with it? Right. Right. You get like baker's yeast or whatever you could and homebrewers have with kind of mixed results. Um, I mean, there are something like 10,000 known yeast strains out there um, and they all could ferment beer. Uh, what you'll get like as a result may be good, may be gross and tastes like a foot. It kind of comes down to um, you know, the temperature it was it fermented at, the amount of yeast you're pitching, the generation of that yeast. So like we would reuse and repitch yeast all the time. And a lot of the storied brewers, in fact, I can't remember specifically, but Francis Connor may be a good example of this, of they claim to use the same, they're like a generation, you know, 10,000 or whatever of this, of the same yeast strain. They keep repitching it from the first beer they ever made to now, kind of like a Tootsie Roll where they're constantly reusing the <laughs> the same vat of Tootsie Roll since the 1900s, but this goes back to the 1300s. Um, 
in each new successive beer. So Generation yeast gets better at what they're doing the longer they've been doing it, which is kind of interesting um, for a single-celled organism. Um, and then other ingredients you use as well in that beer. I mean, I was going to contribute to kind of what the what the yeast does with it, adjuncts, other sources of sugar that you're adding. The yeast will react to certain ways. It really likes, though, the, the kind of sugars that you pull off of grain uh, – and bar- malted barley in particular, if you use a lot of adjuncts in a beer, you cannot reuse that yeast very much. Uh, it kind of just gets less and less efficient very quickly. So it even the yeast itself is going, this sugar source kind of stinks. This one's a little better. It's kind of selective, um, which is also interesting. So, um, but I mean, like trying to like figure out, right, like what, what is that orange flavor I'm tasting? Is that coming from the yeast, the hops, the malt, an adjunct? That's kind of the fun drinking beer, but the yeast is going to absolutely play a play a part in that and kind of what you're actually experiencing for sure um, when it comes to the, that sip. So um, my next question is I'm going to try and riff off of that a little bit. And um, I want to play – we've mentioned before um, like lager – versus ale yes. sure. and the temperature differences so there's a a lager yeast and an ale yeast and we'll get more into the differences between a lager and an ale in an, in yeah. later episodes but yeah while we're focusing on yeast can you give me like a a, a kind of a, a a description on like what's the basic difference between a lager yeast and an ale yeast Sure. Yeah, we'll do this. Yeah, kind of hit the the highlights here. So lager yeast, which when I say lager, I'm talking about lagers, but Pilsner's box, Doppelbox, my box, all that stuff. So they, um, it's known as a bottom fermenting yeast. I mean, it likes to settle the bottom of the tank. It also um, finishes cleaner, produces less kind of fermentation byproducts like other flavors, hence the cleanness of the, the kind of neutralness of the finish of a lager yeast. They perform well in colder temperatures um, too. And so because they're colder, they're sometimes not as vigorous in terms of the fermentation like El Diablo, the yeast we had earlier today um in uh in raging bitch uh that's nail yeast um this one's going to be dropping out of the bottom of the beer traditionally whereas ale yeast or kind of as the i guess the part of the saccharomyces cerevisiae family i guess it's like family and genus um used uh in most beers so these are like ipas but also like porters stouts Wheat beers, most so most styles of beer are ale yeast. However, most beers, because so many lagers are out there in terms of this volume amount of lager beer brewed, um, are lager yeast. But in terms of range of style, probably an ale. Top fermenting yeast, that's what they refer to. Um, they perform better in warmer temperatures fruitier flavors, uh, and that warmth can make them a little more vigorous in terms of how they ferment. Meaning. They ferment faster. When they ferment faster, they're creating CO2 faster, which creates more foam, more blow-off, more of a mess. That's right. You walk into the closet again, and your shirts are covered in a bunch of beer. You probably just made an ale, and that closet was probably too hot um, for that beer, although whatever's left may taste fantastic. Um, And so, yeah, big pillowy heads. And really, like, um, ale yeast don't like liquid. They're um, which is hilarious because they're making beer, which of course 
is a liquid. Um, they're what they're known as what's well, called hydrophobic. So they're trying to get out of there, trying to ferment and leave as quick as they can. So they choose uh, going to the top of the beer because again they're kind of flocculating, which means grouping together already. Um, which traditionally brewers could skim the top of open fermentation vessels, the yeast up there, and move it to another tank to have fresh wort move into it and then turn that into beer. And there's even a system called the Burton union system where uh, they just built basically like a trough between tanks where it got to a certain point. They used to rise up, get into that trough and just go to that next tank that was empty. And then they'd, it started to fill, add beer to it. This is not really done anymore, but um, in the, the UK, a lot of their, uh, the ales there traditionally were brewed in a system like that, where it's almost like a, right, like an aqueduct almost of, of yeast moving itself to that next tank to be, you know, beer to be, thrown into it and or wore to be thrown into it and made beer so that's a, pretty cool but that's yeah, awesome yeah, right <laughs> if you're listening and you've ever brewed on a burton union system please email harrison yeah uh, at podcasts at untap.com or hit us up on twitter uh we'd please love do. to hear your stories about that um here's a rando question for you harrison yeah um can I just add a whole bunch of extra yeast to my beer so I can have like a 20% ABV at the end? Is that, is that right. a, is, is that a good shortcut or life hack? Right. So not quite. <laughs> you think, right. The more, the merrier and the more yeast, the more booze. And unfortunately, kind of like most people, they have a threshold for, I, you know, I can't, I can't no more, no moss for me. I'm done. Close my tab. Like they can't, could consume in a, an environment uh, above a certain alcohol percentage. So they'll just go to sleep, drop to the bottom, or again, rise to the top, and then fermentation is done. There are um, yeast, though, uh, one of the most famous one is called a Super Pac-Man yeast, which, as the name implies, Pac-Man can keep eating. And a lot of breweries that are trying to go for higher ABV beers will use like a house ale yeast, to impart some flavor to it because Super Pac-Man is going to be very neutral and not impart a lot of flavor uh, and then add Super Pac-Man after kind of primary fermentation is done and the yeast flavor from the yeast they've gotten in that 7% beer to Super Pac-Man takes it to like 10% or 11 or 12% or, or more. Champagne yeast, obviously champagne is more alcoholic than um beer most of the time so that's another one breweries will sometimes use especially in wheat beers they'll put a champagne yeast in there it'll dry it out uh, which is really cool um, and then also be able to produce uh, more alcohol so yeah the yeast and, and this is very now very well documented by companies like white labs and y yeast that produce yeast for commercial breweries and for home brewers kind of this yeast really good it'll get you to five to seven percent and then it's done this one will get you to eleven this one's better at four better at this temperature all this is documented now so as a home brewer you know you have great guidelines for like i want to make this kind of beer i need this kind of yeast and here's why and what it'll actually the results will get me but yeah just dumping more in there you'll just at some point start making bread and <laughs> that's you know that's not the goal i mean it's not terrible but that's <laughs> sure, um, right that's 
that's interesting to hear that sometimes you can do everything that you want. And if you have a certain, if you have a house ale yeast, you won't be able to get it to 15%. Like you have right. to, nope. it, you have to do something else. Yeah. Um, so yep. we've covered a little bit on why yeast is crucial in making beer and some variations in yeast. In the past yeah. episodes, we've kind of hinted at uh, wild yeast um, we've hinted at it a few times. We talked about like cool shit brewing at Allagash where it's like this yes. giant, uh, oh, like w- what can, can you kind of explain uh, or, or maybe just demystify a little bit about things like how do I brew a beer and just put it in a giant room, cool ship? How does that, ha- like, what is wild yeast? How does, uh, where, where do we find it? Is it really right. just floating around in the air and it happens spontaneously? Yeah. Right. So that yeah, there's a couple things happening, and we'll, we'll it's almost a whole entire episode of doing like you know, um, I mean like spontaneous fermentation compared with open fermentation compared with wild yeast culturing and like inoculating certain vessels in your brewery with a certain yeast strain that you know is going to perform kind of a certain way, um, but like really yeah like. Um, it's hard to predict when you're talking about wild yeast and uh, some of them are very common in wine and they work differently in those conditions. They wouldn't have beer, they eat different sugars, that sort of thing than beer yeast would. They create different flavors, but yeah, it kind of comes down to how you're using that yeast, but there are plenty of breweries that cultivate their own. I know two roads at one in Connecticut during hurricane Sandy that actually hit Connecticut pretty good, New York and Connecticut, it, it, it swung farther North than hurricanes usually do. They had a yeast catcher, which is like a device that sounds based like a fancy system to catch yeast on their roof during that cultivated yeast from that hurricane and made a beer out of it. So whatever is blowing around in the air um, up there could have been local, could have been pulled up from the Gulf stream. No idea. That was many years ago, but, um, but like a really right. Cool, cool experience. They were right. They, so they cultivated that, put in their lab, figured out what is this? What does it look like? What does it do? Do a test batch. What does this taste like? All right. I kind of get it. Let's do a bigger batch of it and make a beer kind of release to more people. So, um, that's one example, pretty cool and extreme. Um, but there are plenty of other breweries like tired hands is very well known out of Philadelphia for foraging for not just ingredients in the woods, but yeast, go grab an apple, scrape a little bit off the top of it put on our microscope what's on there there's going to be stuff i mean lactobacillus is the most common living thing one of them on the planet it's what makes yogurt and cheese and stuff um and uh and it also can make your beer a little bit tart and sour or if it's uh you know so there's there's things you may know every day that you eat every day that in yogurt or cheese tastes normal in a beer may taste a little bit funky but it's kind of there's definitely more trial and error there there now but even like where we're standing today compared to five years in the past we know more about a lot of these wild yeast or how to kind of wrangle spontaneously fermented beers than ever which is uh it's pretty cool and it's but it's also always a changing always finding new ones they're always high you know kind of branching off making new strains of themselves as they live in the world and encounter their own issues as yeast and have to adapt and, uh, and all that stuff. So, um, but def- it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and obviously, uh, something that as you get deeper and deeper in a beer, it's easy to kind of nerd out on and, and get, and get lost in it in many different ways. I can, I can, I can already kind of see, uh, how that can happen. Again, we always, 
right now we live in a world that, that really stresses the importance of hops and yeah. it's amazing um, because they add a great flavor to most of the beers I enjoy, but yep. yeast, my gosh. Uh, it, and, and you make a good point with tired hands uh, breweries like Fanta Flora out uh, mm-hmm. closer to Asheville in North Carolina, where they'll like, I'm pretty sure I heard a story where they would forage find an old log and use whatever yeast was on that to right. build their beer. I mean, right. that's sure. It's, it almost, it's almost like the yeast is kind of the connection between our beer today and the Sumerians that were brewing beer sure. before they knew oh, what yeah. it was. I, right. Right. Um, exactly. So exactly. last right. question, uh, I promise then we can, then it's getting a little sciencey and stuff, but, um, <laughs> but you know, if we can go over the top, we know that essentially brewers are just yeast farmers and we've learned <laughs> about Saccharomyces and, and that's basically like, that's your clean beer yeast. And you talked about lactobacillus and um, uh, the other sour strains, yeah. Brettanomyces and Pediococcus. Brettanomyces yep. and Pediococcus, that's right. You'll yep. see some of those that are giving you more of a sour flavor. My question is... What happens if I'm, it's my last day as a brewer and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put all four of these yeasts into one sure. beer, clean yeast yeah. and, and wild yeast all together. Does that ruin it? Have, have people done it before? Is it a good idea? Yeah. So, I mean, many breweries do this. We did it all the time um, where you kind of, you can take a base beer, say like an American Porter and you ferment it with your house ale yeast and stainless steel tanks and let it ferment with your primary fermentation with just a standard house ale yeast. And then, um, inoculate some barrels let's say with like lactobacillus and bertetomyces and then transfer that beer that's finished into those barrels and let the bugs in the barrels do what they want to do with the the other sugars there that the beer yeast wouldn't eat would see is not fermentable and fall asleep and ignore these other bugs are going to look at and go oh this is what i love to eat and eat it up and and so we used it that was all the time we had when i think i said it before we, when i left we had about 360 or 400 different barrels of beer and we had three fooders which are if you haven't seen them traditionally used for wine but just like basically gigantic wooden fermenters um that we would inoculate as well and we had three different ones and one had i think one had a mixture of lactobacillus and pediococcus in it. One had just lacto, one had Brettanomyces and lacto, I think. And so what we'd often do is we'd always brew continuously kettle sours and put them in these bigger fooders that could hold probably 20, 30 barrels, like 60 kegs worth of beer. They're big. Uh, I think they were about, I think we're 30 barrel uh, fruiters, but uh, beer constantly brew a base beer and a simple kettle sour into that. See what the bugs did to it. And then when I was working with our barrel master there, we would a lot of our day was like go to the cellar, grab samples out of the barrels. What tastes kind of good and interesting? All right, these three do. Let's go sample the three fooders now. This one would taste really good. And sit there and blend them. Take little Dixie cups and go take a little bit of this, a little bit of this, mix it together, 
that's horrible, that's good, that's interesting. And then basically go like, all right, we're going to transfer, you know, some beer from the fooder and these three barrels into this one tank and make it like 80% of our table beer. So the, the beer coming out of that fooder and the rest are coming out of these barrels, mix it up and then bottle it. And like, that was a big part of our like brewer. I think it was called the Shemini Creek Brewers Select Club or this like whatever, you know, like the mug club basically. But you're getting, when you were a member of that, you would get first like early access to these beers they were blending and bottling in the back of the brewery um that at the end of the day like a lot of times were a mixture of of all that stuff a base beer that wasn't soured a couple different barrel aged beers and different percentages of them and they were the easily like the most amazing well i mean the most amazing beers we made i think because it was so it was just so much work went into them. Um, and it was, so maybe that was part of it where like, if you were part of the whole process from which I was of like, because in a Chamonix Creek, we'd rotate around between making, brewing the beer, cellaring, packaging in the barrel house. Um, like if you were able to kind of touch a bottle of beer at each step in some way and then drink it, it's kind of wild to see how a year or so of waiting, what that did to, on a product um and we used to do as much as we could it was so much fun um again ton of work people look at sour beers and think wow this is so cool and interesting it's unforgiving un thankless kind of you're just on your hands and knees dealing with barrels that leak and you know swearing and not having fun and covered in gross funky stuff and everything sticks dear to everything else and it's like having a toddler um, that you have to shove inside a bottle and, and, and then <laughs> and then and then do so and have it be this like magic and then wait because you're bottle conditioning it wait two weeks and then drink it um, and see what it tastes like so even after that so long story short you can do it all throw it all in, in one beer and then even more so take a bunch of beers that have a bunch of different bugs in it and kind of blend them together and that's a lot of really great breweries do that refer to themselves some of them as blenderies or or whatnot that's that's what they're talking about they're literally blending beers that were brewed independent of each other into a final product that you're uh, that you're tasting and it was some of the most fun times i had but Right. Fun is like a, a weird word because yeah, from, it lasted over from the description a long time. you gave earlier. <laughs> um, it didn't. I don't know if anybody's really excited to go open a sour brewery after uh, hearing <laughs> yeah. Harrison Get talk ready. about Ugh. it. But on the upside, uh, right. people like that that tag themselves as blenderies, like Casey's Brewing and Blending Barrel Culture in yeah. North Carolina. Yeah. There's some of the oh. top rated producing some really exciting liquids. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, enjoy them. But just remember that at some point that that they're right. addressing a right. leaking barrel with really sticky clothes, oh. um, cursing at it. Because and if you've enjoyed where Harrison has gone in his addressing yeast is the fourth mandatory component of beer stick around we're addressing more of these in beer 101 especially uh, upcoming in episode 19 is going to feature yeah. fermentation so we'll talk That's about right. we'll, we'll get a little bit more granular uh, having already covered yeast and if you have any suggestions hit us up uh, most easily on twitter at that beer podcast 
or email us or hit us up on the Facebook group. Um, click on the links, find us, let us know what you're interested in. Right, Harrison? Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And coming up on our next episode, we're going to, for Beer 101, we're going to focus on sourcing materials. So kind of like, how do we get hops? How do we get grain? How do we get yeast? All that stuff that's very, obviously, important. We're going to take what we learned and now apply it to, it's a brew day. What do we do? How do we get here? Um, and we're going to announce the new beers early in the Facebook group that we'll be uh, we'll be doing for that episode. So if you're, again, not in there, jump in there. You'll, you'll be able to learn a lot and kind of get an early peek on where we are, what we're thinking about, and what we're drinking uh, for the next episode beforehand. I, I think that's absolutely good information. Of course I do. Um, I can be selfish there. <laughs> um, for those of you listening right now, uh, we're doing something every Wednesday uh, for as long right. as our families will allow us. Um, <laughs> if it's not a new episode on uh, on uh, on drinking socially on your podcast, then check us out in the Facebook group. We're going to be live on there. You can follow us on Twitter for updates. But uh, we kind of tested it out last week, and it was really, really fun to interact and answer questions and talk about things with you kind of one-on-one live while drinking a beer. So we hope we can continue that. Oh yeah. Can you keep it going? It was a blast. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, show notes, um, links, how to get in touch with us, all that stuff's available at podcast.untapped.com. You can connect with us directly via Twitter at that beer podcast, join the Facebook drinking socially group. I think I've covered all of the social media plugs. <laughs> Smash that like button. Hit subscribe. Smash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right. Other than that, uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks. Cheers. I know, right? <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.